We've got some stuff to cover this morning. Um, Pastor Kenny mentioned last week that, and you know, many of you remember Mark Trotter, and he said that when Mark would get up to teach, that he would say, all right, guys, you know, it's time to get out the coloring books, right? And, and you know that Mark was like actually a phenomenal gifted teacher, and man, praise the Lord for him. Um, but this morning, instead of the coloring books, we're going to do like finger painting with me, all right? So, so be ready for that. Um, the message this morning was something that it's not groundbreaking, so no new doctrine this morning. Um, you know, glad to announce that, that the Lord hasn't given me anything wild and out there that, uh, that nobody else has ever seen, but it is really important. Uh, this topic of division comes up over and over again, really division and unity, right? And so we're going to talk about it this morning and uh, see what the Lord would have for us. So if you do have your Bible with you or your Bible app, just ask that you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, our small group has been in 1 Corinthians. We got started before we took our summer break, and we'll be picking back up um, on that next month. But uh, as we were going through 1 Corinthians, there was a verse that really stood out, and really it's kind of the theme verse and the key verse for the entire book of 1 Corinthians, and that would be 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same spirit. So this morning we just want to look at how to approach and deal with division, right? We want to look at how God views division, and then I'd like to challenge you to consider division in your own life, right? So just a little bit of context here. This letter was written to Corinth, uh, the church at Corinth, by Paul, who was the apostle that started and planted this church. Uh, it was probably written around 56 to 59 AD, while Paul and Sosthenes were in Ephesus. So Paul had left the church. He established it, he left, and after he left, there were a lot of things that were coming in from the, the city around them, you know, and that happens, right? The world creeps into the church, but unfortunately, it was causing a lot of issues, right? So they actually wrote a letter to Paul and said, hey, we have some questions about things, right? There were good questions, things about like the Lord's Supper and sacrifices that were made to idols. They wanted to know about food and different things, right? But before Paul could even get to that, he had also heard that there were divisions in the church, that there were schisms in the body, right? And he was concerned about that. And so when he wrote in response to their letter, he has to deal with that up front. So before he can even get to these other issues, before he can even address the questions that they had, which were really good and valid questions, he saw that there was a bigger need, and that was to address the division in the church. So Corinth, uh, we know it was a large international metropolis. It was filled with people from different backgrounds. Uh, there was a lot of idol worship going on. Gods such as Epaphrodite was particularly prominent in that city. Uh, the city got the nickname Sin City, right? It was, uh, it was a dark place. It was a wicked place. There was a lot going on. And really, the city in Corinth was very much like any you know, modern urban area that we have today. A lot of opportunities to engage in sinful behavior. And uh, that, that community that they were surrounded in, it clearly had a negative influence. So with all of that sinful, negative influence, with all the wickedness going on around them, like I said, the church was just um, being divided over things, right? 
Um, and they had this, this worldly mindset of dealing with it, and it just wasn't working with them. So Paul gets right to the heart of the issue here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we're going to break this down a little bit, and uh, we'll let the, the natural punctuation and things in Scripture just allow us to, to take this in chunks, right? So again, the focus verse is uh, verse 10 here. So we'll start off, part one will be, Now I beseech you, brethren, and we'll call this the call. All right, so, so Paul has started off just giving a, a brief um, introduction. He says, you know, he's thankful for them. He lets them know, you know, just who they are in Christ. He reminds them of their spiritual blessings and who they are, and then he gets right to it, and he's beseeching them, right? This word beseech, we know, is to, to call near. It's to invite. It's to desire. It's to entreat, right? You, you really want someone to pay attention, to listen, to come close if you were beseeching them. Um, it's interesting, beseech is found about 20 times in just the Pauline epistles alone. So Romans through Philemon. And each time we see this beseech, we know that it's about something very important. Um, in multiple times, it is about unity and division. But just to give you a few examples here, if we look at uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And man, if we would just, if we would just get that down alone, that one beseeching that Paul calls the church there in Romans um, to tell them, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, just that alone brings unity with God, right? Just that alone brings unity with the body. If you can just put yourself aside and be a living sacrifice. But beyond that, uh, Romans 16, 17 tells them to, to mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which they've learned. So they're being beseeched to mark those and to, to point those people out that do cause division. They're supposed to avoid them. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says that God did beseech you uh, by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So again, it's about unity, about reconciliation, right? And one last example here, uh, Philemon's, uh, in verse 10, we see Paul pleading with Philemon to be united with Onesimus. He says, I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus. And it's so cool, man, like that is a very powerful thing to beseech someone. We don't really use that term as much these days, but man, when you see that show up in your Bible, pay attention because that is a serious call it is something that we need to listen closely to, and it's something that God really wants us to pay attention to, right? So we see this beseeching. We see the call, right? And then we move into this next part. Part two, it says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So who is our authority? Jesus. Amen, man. So yeah, that is our authority, right? So we have part two here is the authority, the name by which we do these things. So if we look through Scripture, we see how authoritative and how powerful the name of Jesus is. And I don't need to tell you this, but we're going to go over it again just because it is so good to see, right? Philippians 2.10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, right? Every knee should bow, that every tongue should confess the Lord Jesus, right? We know that that's the name that we call on for salvation. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 there, it tells us, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's the name that we call on, the only name that we call on for salvation. 
We know that the name of Jesus is the authority on which we preach and teach the Word of God. If you look in verse 18 here in, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, it says, preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So we see the preaching of the cross. That's Jesus. We're talking about that powerful name that saves, right? And then to further expound on that, we're told in, in verse 24 that Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, right? So it's the name by which we're saved. It's the name by which we preach. It's also the name by which we're, we're praying, right? So when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. He's the reason that we have access to our Heavenly Father in the first place, right? John 14, 13, Jesus tells us that whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may glorif be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16, that whatsoever you shall ask in my, I'm sorry, ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. So there's multiple examples of this. And we know that the key of, of the prayers that we're asking things in Jesus' name, obviously it's to glorify God. So we're, we're praying according to God's will, but it's in the name of Jesus that we can pray. So that is definitely something we want to be unified in, right? In prayer. We want to be unified in prayer because we want God to be glorified and to be pleased with that. You know, the name of Jesus is so powerful that it actually is really offensive to many as well. I don't know how many of you have experienced Larry, I'm sure you've ran into this many times, um, but when you're out sharing the gospel and you bring up the name Jesus, and there are people that just don't want to talk to you anymore. That's it. End of conversation. You can talk to them about almost anything in the world, and they will have a conversation with you, but you bring up the name Jesus, and they will cut you off cold, man. So that's a powerful name, right? Not, not a lot of names, not a lot of things that to be said can stop someone in the middle of a otherwise decent conversation and have them walk away from you. But, uh, but as we know, we're to just shake off the dust from our feet and keep it moving, right? So there will be someone who wants to hear about Jesus. So we have, we have the call here. We have the authority that we, that we are calling and speaking. And part three here is that you all speak the same thing, right? So we would speak the same thing. So what should we be speaking? This is for you guys. What should we be speaking? The word, right? The truth. There we go. Amen, right? So that's our next part, <clears throat> the truth. So we know that we should be speaking God's word. We know that God's word is truth from John 17, 17, and we know that, that Jesus is the word, right? He is the way. He is the truth, right? So this is what we should be speaking, and especially in the context of the church, and with brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be speaking God's truth to one another. You know, God gives us great counsel from his word all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 22, verse 20 tells us, Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Right? God has given us wonderful counsel. He's given us knowledge and wisdom so that we can answer to those that come to us and ask, right? So we have the truth to be speaking, but furthermore, how should we be speaking it? And guys, I know this is not the first time, if you've been in church for any amount of time, it's probably the first time you've heard a message like this, but man, it is so important. This comes up so often. The Bible actually has a lot to say about the way that we speak um, Ephesians chapter 4, man, if you haven't been there recently, that'll help you a lot. 
giving some wonderful guidance. Look at uh, verse 15 in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, speaking the truth and love, you may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we have the word of God, right? We have the authority of Jesus Christ to speak that word. But man, we have to speak in love. Jesus tells us in John 13, 34, that we are to love one another as he has loved us. Jesus was probably not the kind of guy to scream at people and tell them truth, right? Probably was gentle with that, kind, lowly, meek, right? So we need to be speaking the truth in love. Uh, Further down in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that's building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's how we should be speaking. Proverbs 15, verse 1 tells us, Grievous words stir up anger, right? So if you're telling someone the truth, but you're using grievous words to go along with that, that's only going to make someone angry, right? So imagine if you're trying to share the gospel. Imagine you meet someone and you want to tell them about Jesus and you just yell at them and tell them, you're a terrible person. You suck, man, and you're going to hell. Do you think that they're going to want to talk to you anymore? I mean, come on, right? So this is not the way that we are to approach this. The thing is, is that it is true If you're telling them that they're actually not a good person, well, that's true. The Bible agrees with that. God agrees that our our righteousness is as filthy rags. The Bible also tells us that we deserve death and hell for our sins, right? So there's there's no one good. We are all in the same boat. Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so here's the thing. Instead of approaching someone in anger and letting them know that, that they've done something terrible, that they're separated from God for that, Let them know, hey, you know, do you even realize that you sin against a perfect and holy God? Do you even realize that? Do you know that God loves you so much that he actually made a way for you to have a right relationship with him? And man, but what you're doing and what we've all done is we've fallen short of his glory. And the wages for that, the penalty for that is death. It's eternal separation from God. But man, he loves you so much, even more than I ever could. He loves you so much that he made a way to be right with you. And Jesus Christ died for your sins and he was buried and he rose again three days later to take that wrath of God and fulfill that. And and by you putting your trust and your belief in him, you are saved from that eternal separation. Man, we have to love people. We have to present the truth of God in that way. So I don't know how many of you were saved by someone screaming the gospel at you, but that wasn't me, right? It uh, It was a very pleasant message that I heard about Jesus, and and that's when I believed it. But what about people that we're close with, right? So beyond just sharing the gospel, beyond reaching out to the people, you know, think about the people that we're closest with, people that we have here within the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's really the context that Paul is is writing here to the church. So when we look at things, you know, if we need to say something, we feel like we need to say something, I really consider, like, is this a sin issue or is this a subjective issue? Is this something that has to do with your opinions, your feelings about something, but it's not actually a sin, right? And what I mean by that is, like, do you even need to say something? And if you do, is it going to be edifying to your brother and sister in Christ to say something about whatever that is, right? So if it is an opinion, if it is a personal preference about the way that we think something needs to be done, 
maybe the leadership and the decision that they've made. Maybe it's the color of the carpet in here. Whatever it is, man, if it's a different opinion, but it really doesn't need to be said, maybe we could prayerfully consider keeping that to ourselves. You know, and if it is a sin issue, if our brothers and sisters are actually falling into sin and doing something that's contrary to the Word of God, how are we going to approach them, right? Is it going to be in love, with grace, sharing the truth with them? Or are we coming at them in a way that would push them away from us, right? These are not, you know, groundbreaking ideas, guys, but it's just a reminder. You know, Paul deals with this really well, I think. He's got a a great structure for the way that he presents these things to the church in Corinth. Have you guys heard of a a compliment sandwich? You guys know what that is? So like, say at work, your boss needs to tell you that you're doing a terrible job. So they'll start with a compliment and then give you some constructive feedback and then end it with a compliment, right? Like, really like the way you do this thing, but you're doing this other thing really bad, but keep up the good work and everything else, right? Like, I believe in you. So it's a good thing. It's, it's packaged really well because it, it's easier to receive you know, that, that feedback. And Paul really kind of does the same thing here. He starts with greeting the church and he, he greets them with peace, right? And then he gives thanks for them and the things that God has blessed them with. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ and how they're blessed, man. And then, and then he calls them to not be divided. And he gives them this truth that they need to hear. And then he ends just this chapter alone with pointing to God and giving him the glory, right? And it's awesome. So it's like this, this really well-packaged thing. But in the middle here, in verse 10, it's so important that we understand that the words that we're speaking and how we speak it, it's going to make a big difference. So key point number one here is that what we speak about and how we speak about it, it can either unify or divide us. You know, if we're not speaking God's truth, if we're not speaking it in love, it can divide us. So we've seen the call, we see the authority by which we speak, and we've seen the truth that we're supposed to be speaking about. So part four says that there be no divisions among you. So this is the reason. This is the meat and potatoes of this whole thing. This is the reason that that Paul is saying this because God hates division. He hates it in the body of Christ, especially. Man, this idea of unity is talked all throughout the church epistles, and and really you can see unity all throughout the Bible. Uh, But man, in the New Testament, when you're reading through and you see this idea of, of having the same mind toward one another, this shows up over and over again. And there's a ton of verses, guys, And I was going to read through like 50 verses on this, but I will spare you. You can do a word search on unity. Um, Really look at same mind, one mind. Um, Man, just just how we're supposed to to be towards one another with one mind, striving together in the faith of the gospel, the fellowship of the Spirit, the same love. Man, there's just over and over and over again, God is trying to tell us this is the mindset to have, right? Right? This is how I want you to be united with that same mind, with that same mentality. So the reason that we're getting this this morning is because God would have us to remember, maybe you haven't thought about it in a while, just in your own life, in my own life, what is it that we do? What is it that we say? How is it that we act that we may be causing division? And can we consider those things together this morning? The focus verse I'd like to go to from here would be Proverbs 6, 16. So Proverbs 6, 16, the Lord tells us six things that he hates and the seventh thing that's an abomination to him. 
So if we look at this, it starts in, uh, in verse 17. He says, a proud look. He hates that. Hates a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And then here it is, number seven. The thing that's an abomination is he that soweth discord among brethren. It's an abomination to the Lord. That word discord there means strife. It means contention. We're talking about a quarrel, a brawling, if you will, right? And we see this, if you look up that word quarrel, it's meaning like an angry argument or a disagreement, typically between people who are usually on good terms. And I thought that was really interesting. People that are normally on good terms, like do you think that brothers and sisters in Christ should, should typically be on good terms with one another? I mean, Jesus did die to unite all of us, right? So we should be on good terms. So it's interesting. Someone that sows discord is someone that causes strife or quarrels among others whom they should be on good terms with. Man, let that not be us, right? Jesus died for all of us to unite us and for us to brawl with one another, to have division. It's, it is an abomination. It's disgusting to the Lord. Abomination, man, that, that the root word there is to loathe. That's an intense dislike or disgust for. You know, if you can think of something, something that makes you sick, that's just like, I loathe this thing. For me, it's vomiting. And I'm sorry to be gross this morning, but man, I hate vomiting. Like, I would rather be sick all day and hold it in. But just everything about vomiting, it just, the taste, the smell, the feel, it's just terrible, man. Like, I hate it. And I think about that, man, Lord, if you hate those who cause strife within the body more than I hate vomiting, that's a lot, man. So, the key point here is division is disgusting to God. And can we agree with God that division is disgusting? He hates it, man. And when we see it, when we hear it, when we experience it, can we remember that it's disgusting, and do everything that we can to avoid it. Just like I do to avoid vomiting. It really is, man, Carla gets mad at me. She's like, just let it out, dude. You'll feel so much better. Either way, seriously though, consider for a moment our worship, right? Do you think God is pleased with our worship? Do you think that he would say that we are united in that? I mean, think about when we are worshiping corporately, are we allowing ourselves to be distracted at all? Are we maybe not completely singing along because maybe it's not our favorite song? Maybe it's not the style we like. Maybe you're upset because Geraldo's not playing a solo on the guitar. It's always sweet, man, but he can't do it on every song. But are we divided in that, right? Or are we united in our focus on the Lord? Because the worship is all for him anyway. It's not about us. It doesn't matter what we think about that song. Man, if we can just sing praises to the Lord, that's what it's about. What about when the word of God is being preached? Are we ever divided in that? You know, just because it's not Kenny preaching this morning, you know, hopefully you aren't tuning things out. It's the word of God, man. It's not me. It's not about me. It's the word of God, right? So are we attentive to that no matter who's preaching? Just think about it, man. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to still move regardless? And what about when we gather just, just on a regular basis, just gathering here together? 
to worship, to pray together, to learn the Word of God together? Are we really united in that? Or are there times where we'd just rather not be here, where it's easier to just forsake the assembling because we have other things to do, we felt like sleeping in, whatever the reason is. Man, I'm not talking about vacations. I'm not talking about taking a time of rest. But I'm saying, like, man, when you're here on a regular basis to pray and to worship and to learn the Word of God and to, to be edifying to your brothers and sisters, man, God wants us to be united in that. So, you know, what would God say? Would He say that we are a united people when it comes to these things? So, we've seen the call. We've got the authority by which we call. We have the truth that we speak. And the reason for it is because we want to avoid division. And then part five here, back to 1 Corinthians 1.10, says, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And this is the goal. So that same mind and same judgment, right? So same mind means like-minded. Like I told you earlier, there's a ton of verses that talk about like-mindedness and one mind and all of that. But one I'd really like to pay attention to real quick is, is Romans 15, verse 5. It says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So speaking with one mouth, right? Is this the way that we think and speak? Is it glorifying to God? Because that is the goal, right? We want to glorify God. We want to bring honor to Him. We want to magnify Him through our speech and how we are thinking, right? And notice that this verse says, like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. So how is it that Jesus would say to think and speak and act. That's according to him, not to us. So with, with that in mind, if you are like-minded according to Christ Jesus, well, then you're probably loving others. You're probably esteeming them better than yourselves. You're probably lowly and full of grace, right? That is how we are to be like-minded. And when we look at the same judgment, this other part of it is the same judgment, and that is the same counsel, right? Objectively, the same counsel that is to, to agree the same purpose, to have the same will. And I know that we aren't always going to agree. You know, I would like to think that in any relationship that we could agree on, on everything, but that's not going to happen, right? The reality is, is that we think differently about things. But the one thing that we can always and should always agree on is the Word of God, right? That is the one thing that we can always point to and agree on. What does the Bible say? Because that is the final authority. That is the final word, not our personal preferences, okay? So we know that whether it's, it's, it's how things are run in the church, if it's the music that we, that we prefer to have something different, man, for some reason here at Midtown, the coffee, people have opinions about it, man. I don't know why. It's coffee, man. But the decorations, man, maybe it's the schedule. Maybe it's the person that's in charge of, of doing things. Maybe... Maybe they're not doing it the way that you would do it. Okay, so you have a personal preference, but man, what does the Word of God say? What does Jesus say about how to treat that person and how to think of them and how to speak to them, right? So we have to ask ourselves, you know, how can God be glorified in that situation? Even if we do not agree, we should have the same judgment. 
So how do we approach it, right? And again, you, to consider, is it a sin issue or is it a subjective issue? We've really got to put that in perspective. So and I'd like to ask you to consider, do we have the mindset of a mediator? Because when it comes to having the same mind and the same judgment, man, a mediator is a really important role. Um, I know when I was younger, in grade school actually, mom, you might remember this, I was a mediator for our recess time, right? And I'd wear this vest, it was super cool, and I'd go around the, the playground, and if there was a, a brawl or an argument, something going on in the playground, I would, I would go and I would call these kids. I'd say, hey, come here. And I called them to me. And I had the authority from my teachers to do this, right? And I'd call them together and I'd say, look, what's going on, you know? Well, so-and-so pushed me off the swing. All right, what's going on, man? Why did you do that? Well, I was first and he was supposed to go after me, blah, 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 right? And we'd work it out. We'd talk about it. I'm like, guys, do you really want to lose recess privileges? Do you really want to go inside and sit down for the rest of this time? Or can we work this out, right? And so I'd speak truth to them because the truth was that one, you didn't need to be fighting about it in the first place. The truth was also that I had the authority to send them inside or send them to the teacher, right? And so they would listen and we'd work that thing out. And most of the time it worked, right? Most of the time it was cool because I could, I could help them to get that figured out. I would help mediate that situation, and then they, we could keep playing and, and, you know, praise the Lord for recess. So, um, either way, man, there are times in our lives where we need a mediator as well, right? And, man, if we, uh, if we just keep this in mind, you know, Jesus himself instructs us on how to, to mediate and gives us some, some instructions in Matthew 18, where he tells us that if we have a, a brother that trespasses against us, right, that we go to them and, and between us and them alone, that we work that thing out. We try to mediate that. But if that, if that does not work, he tells us then to bring one or two more witnesses in, right? That every word would be established. So we're bringing more mediators into this thing because we really want to be unified. We want to reach resolution. And then if that doesn't work, then we take it to the church, right? We bring it to the pastor and, and we try to get that thing worked out. We try to be mediators in that. So our pastors and our leaders here, they're mediators, and their goal is to help us to be restored to God and with each other. Paul himself was a mediator for the churches, and you can see it as he mediates for all of them between them and God, and he wants them to be right. He wants them to be unified. We know the mediator is Jesus, right? 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that there's one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Jesus Christ. Without that mediator, we've got nothing, guys. So praise the Lord for that. But we do need this. We need Jesus because he is helping us to restore our relationship with God and with each other, with brothers and sisters in Christ. He sets the example. He tells us how to be like-minded with the same judgment. He gives us these perfect instructions, and we would do well to follow it, right? And this really should be the goal for all of us at the end of the day that we would see others around us united with God and united with one another. We ought to have an eye for that. We ought to be looking out for those opportunities to unite people, to bring them back together so that there isn't division, right? Because God does say that he hates that man. It's disgusting to him. So point number three, with our minds set on God's word and God's ways, we can be unified. So we've got the call 
We've got the authority here of the truth that we should be speaking and how we're to, to speak that. We've got the reason for it all is to, to avoid division. And then we've got the goal, which is to speak the same thing, to have that, that unified mindset, that, that same judgment one for another, right? So just like the church at Corinth, you know, we're surrounded by a fallen world. We have people that fight about everything, man. It doesn't take long to see that. Just walk out these doors and walk down the street, man. People are arguing all over the place. And it's, it's a shame because when people, when they disagree on something, they're so quick to cancel each other, right? You're done. You said something I don't like, so you're done. I'm going to cancel you. Man, people take a stand on whatever it is, politics, social issues, things like raising your children. They take a stand on that, and if you don't agree with them, they will cut you out, man. They will completely cut you out of their lives. Man, that is so divisive. Why would we do that? We have to recognize that that type of mindset that the world has is not going to work in the church. We don't get to, like Sam says, man, he says it all the time. We don't get to throw people away, right? These are, these are brothers and sisters in Christ that Jesus died for. We don't get to just throw them away. We should be striving for that unity. And so let us pattern our lives after what God shows us here so that we can avoid division. And if there is division, let us approach it in the way that we're speaking in truth and in love, right? So looking back through this verse again, just real quick. Now I beseech you, brethren. So we're calling someone near. We're desiring that they listen. And people should know, if we're beseeching them because we want to be unified, they should know that. This is not a like, oh, hey, man, you got a second? Like, no, man, this is a please. I want to talk to you. I need to talk to you. This is a desperate call. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the authority that we have in God's word to speak to them and speak the truth and love. And it's so that we don't have division because you want to work that thing out with them. And that's by speaking in a way that glorifies God and agreeing on God's word together. So man, if it's a sin issue, if it's something that needs to be worked out, we can do that, right? God shows us how to do that. And he has, this is just one pattern. This is just one time in scripture where you see this, how it's being dealt with and praise God for it. He shows us all throughout his word how we can be unified, right? So guys, We've got a, a bit of time left. Um, what I'd like to do is to, to take some time this, this morning and in lieu of a wrap-up and, and taking the normal time we would to talk and, and discuss all this stuff, um, there are some questions on the back of your handout. And uh, just some things to consider. And look, man, maybe this, doesn't, maybe this doesn't apply to just you personally. But all of us have seen division. All of us have witnessed these things. And maybe you're in a place where you see someone else that's causing division. You know that you're, you're divided with someone else. Maybe there's someone that you need to be praying about being a mediator for, right? Uh, maybe we need to just take some time to reflect on this past week. Uh, you know, consider a time that maybe our speech wasn't promoting unity. And allow the Lord to show you these things. And the purpose here is not to just feel guilty and be like, yeah, you know, I messed up, right? But it's to really see, okay, Lord, is there an area of my life personally? Can we own this thing? Because this is for all of us, guys. I had to reflect on this. 
I can't bring a message like this without the Lord dealing with my heart on areas where maybe I've said something that's, that's causing division, whether it's with my wife or whether it's with my neighbor or a coworker. Did I do something or say something that could cause division? And how can I change that? How can I rectify that situation? So I encourage you guys to take some time um, we've got plenty of time to, to chill this morning, but just to take like the next five minutes or so and just write out what you're hearing. Write out what you need to focus on throughout this next week. Maybe it's somebody you need to, to call or text or hit up and say, hey, can we chat? Love to meet up to get coffee with you or whatever it is. Can we be about the Lord's business and, and get rid of any division that's just, you know, it, sometimes I know it's not possible, guys. There are some people that are impossible to work with. We've all got that, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a brother and sister in Christ that maybe you have something between that you need to get that dealt with this week, right? So let's take some time, um, and then I will come back up here in a little bit and, and pray us out. You guys good with that? Cool. Everybody awake still? Didn't put you to sleep? Praise God. All right, let's take some time for that.